Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I introduced myself earlier, but if you weren't here, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here, but today I get to teach, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity, grateful for the opportunity to open up God's Word together. So if you don't know anything about uh, me, uh, my wife and I are relatively new to Lubbock. We moved here just about three years ago, and prior to our Lubbock season, we were up in Connecticut for six years. And uh, when we moved to Connecticut uh, back in, when what was it, 20, I forget my dates, six, nine years ago, whatever date that was, when we moved to Connecticut, my wife being from Dallas and me just being a human being, we were on the search for authentic Mexican food. Anyone else appreciate some good Mexican food? So naturally, upon arriving in Connecticut, at Connecticut, we were looking for a restaurant that had some good tacos for me, some good enchiladas for Ashley. Now, if you know Connecticut or would assume about Connecticut, there's great Italian food, great seafood, great pizza, not great Mexican food. But to our surprise, and maybe this was God's grace, we had a friend who was a young Hispanic man, and he told us one day that his uncle had just opened up a Mexican restaurant the next town over. And in his words, it is great, really authentic. So that piqued our interest. So we went, hopeful in our search for authentic Mexican food. We ate there. We were highly disappointed. <laughs> highly disappointed. I don't think this is breaking news to you, but there is a massive difference between something authentic and inauthentic, and you know it right away. When it comes to food, you can just tell by the look, the smell, the taste. If you've experienced authentic before, you know it when you see it. But if you've not experienced the original, the real deal, you have no clue what you're actually missing out on. For example, Taco Bell is not authentic Mexican. Community is the same as food. If you've experienced it before, you can tell right away if it's authentic or not. What you see, what you feel, what you experience either reminds you of the original or it just leaves you wanting more. But if you haven't experienced authentic community before, you don't really know what you're missing out on. So what if this church, Melanie Park Church, in this season of our lives, what if we were known for authentic community? What if as we interact together and other people find their way here, what if every single person experienced without a doubt that our community here resembles the original? So this morning, you can see the outline in your bulletin. Simply, we're going to start by looking at the authentic community himself, the original from which all other community flows. And then we'll explore how there's a longing in each of our hearts for authentic community. And finally, we'll get some direction on how to continue to cultivate authentic community together as a local church. Because I believe, I believe God is inviting each one of us in this room today to take one step deeper into an experience of authentic community. So let's pray together if you would. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. 
Uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us directly, specifically, and clearly. So let's pray. Father, we are looking to you, as Tim and the band led us so well this morning, we are looking to you as our only hope, the rescuer that we need. Would you come now, triune God, and would you speak to us through your word? Would you minister to us through one another? And would you continue to shape us, inform us into the authentic community you desire us to be? So speak to us now. In your good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to kind of walk through each of these steps this morning. First, we're going to see that God is authentic community. He's the original. He's the source from which all other community flows. If you travel back with me all the way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you may be familiar with this. What does it say? In the beginning, who's there? God. In the beginning, God. And we see that this God, throughout Scripture, we see that he's revealed himself to us to be triune, right? Three in one. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The God we worship is a God who has eternally existed as community. In his very essence, he is the perfect community of interconnected friendship and interdependent relationship. From eternity past, God has existed as persons in community. A perfect, undivided relationship of love, unity, and joy. God is authentic community. He's the original. Genesis 1.1, the verse goes on to say that in the beginning, God, what did God do? Created. And in verse 27 of chapter 1, we see that God created man in his own image. So the God who is community overflows with creativity, and out of his relational image springs forth relational beings. And I love the way in which God created mankind. If you've never seen this, I hope it grabs you this morning. Up to that point in creation, day one, two, three, four, five, God has commanded and things become, right? God says, let there be light, and there was. God says, and there was. He speaks creation into being through command. But when it comes to humanity, God doesn't speak a command, he engages in a conversation. Look at Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. The relational God talks amongst himself, and out of that conversation comes the first human being. But there's one more layer to it. Jumping ahead into Genesis 2, we see the first thing God says is not good. Genesis 2, verse 18, it is not good for a man to be alone. The first not good thing in God's perfect creation is man's isolation, his aloneness. And think about it, no sin yet in the world the man has unhindered relational access to the triune God himself, yet something is still not right. The man is alone. 
So God creates a woman to be his companion, his partner, his friend, his wife, and the two become one. The first human community of interconnected friendship and interdependent relationship is established. So no wonder there's a longing in every human heart for connection and community. We were created from community for community, created by a relational God as relational creatures to live as interconnected, interdependent persons in community. So it's not just unfortunate if someone's not in community. It's subhuman. Isolation and aloneness go against God's very intended design for his creation. And when we're outside of God's design, we feel it, don't we? When we're isolated, this may be your story, when we're isolated, disconnected, alone, you just know that something's not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Let me take a little sip here. <clears throat> All right, so did some research this week, um, and studies are continuing to show, and you may know about this, that there's an epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of loneliness in our country and all over the world today. Increasingly, people are feeling more isolated and disconnected than ever. In this past year, this past year and a half, certainly hasn't helped that, right? So studies show that loneliness is emerging as one of the greatest threats to not only emotional health and mental health, but also physical health. From a study I saw this week, it says, loneliness runs like a dark thread through many of the more obvious issues people have, like addiction, violence, anxiety, and depression. And even less obvious issues like heart attack and stroke. Isolation is a risk factor for cognitive decline, poorer cognitive function, and dementia. Loneliness quite literally impacts how you think. Loneliness and isolation have direct impact on health-related physiology like blood pressure and reduced immune function. It's also linked to sleep disturbances. Clearly, another study concludes, there is something about our disconnection from one another that makes people's lives worse than they have to be. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period, another study concluded. And y'all, this is all scientific, secular data, but it certainly seems to align with God's intended design, doesn't it? But the studies go on. Though loneliness affects people of all ages, there seems to be a growing risk for people 18 to 35. Anybody 18 to 35 in here? Yeah, so this epidemic is most impactful upon you. From an article published just a few weeks ago, it was discovered that millennials and Generation Z are far less likely to chat to neighbors or join in group activities. It goes on to say, after decades of community, a community decline and 15 months of rolling lockdowns, young people have fewer friends, trust people less, and are more alienated from their communities than ever before. 
But we all know loneliness isn't just a young people problem, right? It's a human problem affecting older generations as well. And the crazy thing is, another study shows that loneliness is not simply the result of social isolation. Loneliness doesn't just result from not having connections. Rather, you can feel very much alone in the midst of many social connections. Maybe even this morning, in a group of 100, 200 people, you feel alone. So in light of all this research, and there's much more out there if you want to go check it out yourself, what are some proposed solutions from our secular scientific friends? Well, one study concludes, we merely have to invest the time in reaching out. Another says, a lot of our isolation is to the the degree that people feel invisible. Anybody feel invisible? So when you show up, and have concern and conversation from their location, going to where they are, being where they live, you're rehumanizing the situation. Another study proposes two more solutions. One, the need for intergenerational connections and the need to have a role in a community with meaning and purpose. So listen again. Investing time in reaching out These are the solutions. Showing up where people are with concern and conversation. Intergenerational connections. A role in a community with meaning and purpose. Does this this at all sound to you like the church God intends his people to be? I believe God desires authentic community to be experienced most fully, most deeply, most richly, in the local church. Community here on earth as it is in heaven. So think about it. If we're created from community for community, like we've said as human beings, if the triune God has saved us and adopted us in as his children, if his presence resides in us and his power is displayed through us as the church, wouldn't it seem that authentic community would be experienced most fully among us? Where else on earth does the authentic community himself dwell with a group of people, if not the local church? Forgive me, I've been struggling with some sinus stuff this week. All right, so here's a point I want to make. Community is not some peripheral Christian teaching that it's nice to consider, but let's move on to the other more significant things. Authentic community is central to our identity as the people of God. Community is central to our identity as the people of God. But here's the problem. A lot of us, especially in the Bible Belt, we don't view church this way. We don't view our lives as Christians this way. We often view it from the perspective, as this image will show, of an autonomous individual in which church is one of many things that I have to juggle and balance in my life. So as I juggle and balance, I attend church on Sundays and at times participate in other church events, but church for me is nothing more than one of many activities and responsibilities in my life. That sounds familiar, right? 
It's pretty common. But what if we saw church as the authentic community from which we navigate all the other things in our lives? This is a paradigm shift, whereas church is central to our identity and everything else we do in life is centered on us as the people of God. What if God, Melody Parks family, what if God is calling us to shift our paradigm and live this way? What if our experience together as authentic community was so rich and full and transformative that we wouldn't ever dream of living life on our own as an autonomous individual? And this is our hope for Melanie Park. So let's look now practically at how this might play out um, in our life together. So we've been working through this series, four of our core values. Obviously today is authentic community. So let's uh, look at this together and we'll unpack it for the remainder of our time. So here's the value. We believe the church is not a place, but a family. We believe our relationship with Christ cannot be separated from our relationships with one another. Therefore, we are devoted to three things, showing mercy, extending grace, and building up one another in love. So let's walk through each of these things. So starting with showing mercy. Let me ask you a question. Why would we need to show mercy to one another? Here's the answer. Because every single person that calls Melanie Park home is a person who's been busted up, broken, and bruised by the effects of sin in a fractured world. And every one of us has or will experience suffering and sorrow that if other people aren't around us, it just might take us out. So it's in these moments of sin, suffering, and sorrow that we step into one another's lives to show mercy. And as as I was thinking about it this week, uh, the passage that came to mind that really highlights this for us, I think, is the Good Samaritan. So turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. Um, even if you're not a Christian or haven't grown up in church, this may be a story or a concept that you've heard before, the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a lot we can glean from this passage, and I think we're going to see a beautiful picture of what showing mercy looks like. So Luke 10, we'll start in the second half of verse 30. So it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, which in that day was a religious leader, was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another religious person, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal 
and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And Jesus gives the answer in verse 30. Actually, the, the lawyer gives the answer to Jesus. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, and I think he's saying to us, go and do likewise. So let's look back and point out a few things from this story. First, we see that mercy and compassion are intertwined. So mercy is the taking of action from a heart of compassion. Let me say that again. Mercy is the taking of action from a heart of compassion. When we see hurting people busted up physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, compassion moves us to action. And we see in the story, the Good Samaritan moved toward the hurting man. He didn't require him to pick himself up and come to him. He moved toward the hurting man. He stepped in and he stooped down. And this was both messy and costly, right? It says he bound up his wounds. He literally bound up the man's wounds, and he took care of him. He got his hands dirty and probably ruined his clothes with the man's blood. And then taking care of him, he actually paid for the man's short-term and long-term care at his own expense. And what a picture this is of mercy on display, right? And this is part of what authentic community looks like and feels like amongst us. Compassionate hearts leading us to action. We step out of our comfort and move towards people in need. We get down into the mess of people's lives in their sin, in their suffering, and in their sorrow. And at our own expense, we do whatever it takes to provide initial and long-term care. So Melanie Park family, would we devote ourselves to being a people who show mercy to one another and who show mercy to all the other people the Lord, the Lord brings into our lives? We are devoted to showing mercy. But then our statement goes on. We're devoted to extending grace. Extending grace. Why do we need to extend grace to one another? Here's why. Because if you've been part of this church, or any church for that matter, for more than maybe one hour, you've had people who disagree with you, offend you, and maybe even have sinned against you. And you want to know why people sin against us? Because they're people. In this side of eternity, people sin against people. And especially hurting people hurt other people. So I'm sorry to inform you, if you're new to Melanie Park and you think this place is nice and rosy and everything is green on this side, someone at some point is going to sin against you, offend you, disagree with you. That's just the reality of life this side of eternity. So could we stop being surprised by sin? I can't believe he just did that. How could she say such a thing? 
in this church, especially if we live close and connected as a family, will eventually be hurt by sin, at times will be offended, and most certainly at some point will disagree with someone else. So the question is, how will we respond? And the answer is, we're devoted to extending grace. We give people what they don't deserve. And not just little drops of grace that we dole out at our own discretion, we give lavish amounts of grace, abundant grace, over-the-top, makes-no-sense sort of grace, the kind of grace that God has given us in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll get a sense here of what We'll get a sense here of actually where we get this supernatural, otherworldly grace. Because it's not just something that comes naturally, does it? Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. And would someone mind running to my office and grabbing me another water? Thank you. Oh, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Oh, cool. Look at this authentic community in action here. Showing mercy. All right. If you're new, we are very put together and very professional here. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So in other words, Brian's paraphrase, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands you. He knows how hard it is to live life in a broken world, and yet he shows us a way. He gives us the resources to navigate through it. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where Jesus is, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So as God's people, we can only dispense to others what we've received from him. So in moments of need, whether it's a struggle with sin, suffering, and sorrow in which you need to give mercy to someone, or whether someone sins against you and you need to extend grace to that person, we can only give what we've received. So Hebrews helps us. Where do we get it? We get it from the throne of grace. We get it by drawing near to Jesus, abiding with Jesus every day, receiving the grace, receiving the mercy that he so freely lavishes on us so that when that moment of need is there, we can dispense his mercy and his grace to others. In a world that's all about giving people what they deserve, right? You hurt me, you're going to pay. You screwed up this season, you're fired. In a world that's all about giving people what they deserve, what if we as a church family lived in an otherworldly, countercultural sort of way? What if we were known in our local community as over-the-top, makes no sense grace givers. Receiving grace from the Lord, dispensing it in moments of need. 
So we've seen two things so far. We're devoted to showing mercy, extending grace, and then finally, building up one another in love. Hebrews 4.15 says, rather, so rather than, rather than being thrown around, tossed around by the waves and winds of life, the way we prevent that is speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Ephesians 4 shows us how we grow. And the answer is we grow by speaking truth to one another. Flowing from a heart of love, we speak truth into one another's lives. And we do this because all of us are currently incomplete. We are all works in progress, right? No one has arrived spiritually. And if you have, this is probably not the church for you. Every single one of us will be growing, changing, slowly but surely, until the, until the day we see Jesus face to face. So until that day, every one of us need people in our lives to speak truth consistently and to love us persistently. Did you hear, hear that? Every single one of us need people in our lives to speak truth consistently and love us persistently. And this, in part, is why you come on Sundays, right? You come to hear truth spoken in love. But the, the reality is this Sunday gathering is quite simply not enough. It's supplemental for your life in Christ, but it's not sufficient. This Sunday gathering is essential, but it's not central. You and I, you and I need to hear truth spoken into our lives way more than once a week. It's got to become a regular rhythm in our lives. So last verse we'll look at, Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 13, it's helpful here. Hebrews 3, 12 says, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So we've already established we're all incomplete, Sin resides in each of our hearts, and if not kept in check by brothers and sisters who speak truth and love, this verse says, over time, you're going to drift away. It may be slow, it may be gradual at first, but if brothers and sisters are not keeping your heart in check, eventually you're going to drift. So what's the antidote to drifting? Verse 13 gives it to us. But exhort one another. Strongly encourage one another every day, did you hear that? Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Not once a week exhortation, not on occasion, whenever you feel like it exhortation. Every day exhortation is the antidote to sin's deceitfulness. Everyday exhortation is the way we help keep our hearts soft and warm rather than hard and cold. Everyday exhortation is the way we build one another up in love. So as we start to close, let's pull this all together. We've seen that God is authentic community, right? We've seen that we're created for authentic community, 
We've seen that he's saved us and has brought us together to be authentic community. As a local church where people can experience authentic community here on earth as it is in heaven. So as we continue to grow as authentic community, we devote ourselves to three things. Help me out. Showing mercy, extending grace, and building up one another in love. And we do that every day. So my question to you, do you have these kinds of relationships in your life? Are you currently connected, not last year, not 10 years ago, not 30 years ago, are you currently connected into this type of community? You know, some looking around in this room, some in this room are. You're experiencing authentic community with people in this church, and what a gift that is to you, right? But here's my exhortation to you who are connected. Would you reach out to others who aren't connected and feel isolated? Would you move towards people and invite them in to the community life that you're experiencing? Perhaps that's the next step the Spirit might be prompting you, leading you in to take today. Some are connected, but others are not connected, simply because you're new or relatively new. And let's be honest, most relationships take time to develop, right? So if this is you, I'd encourage you to take advantage of some of the opportunities we have in the days ahead, and I'll share those momentarily. We've got a series of actions that you could take, steps that you could take to help you get more connected into the life of community here. Others of you are not connected, but you have been part of this church for some time. And honestly, you're frustrated because even though you've tried to connect, you still feel isolated and alone. You've attended events, you've joined, you've joined groups, yet for some reason, those deep connections just aren't gaining traction. So here's what I'd say to you, if that's you. I, I'm so sorry. How frustrating it must be for you to be hearing every week about how much of a family we are and we love each other, yet you feel like you're on the outside looking in. And honestly, I'm not sure what the next step might be for you, but would you extend grace to us if we've sinned against you, if we've discouraged you? And if you're willing, would you take, come take a step after service? Come see me or come see Jeff Oldham. Let us process that experience with you, and maybe the Lord might give some direction on what the next step for you might be. Yet there's two more groups in here, I think. Uh, one other group, for some, like the picture that we saw, Church for you is still more like you're juggling and trying to balance. Church is one activity among many. You don't yet see that God intends authentic community to be the framework from which you do everything else in your life. Church is still more about a place that you attend rather than a people to which you belong. So if this is you, I hope by the end of these 40 minutes or however long we've gone, I hope you're starting to see the need that you have for authentic community, and I'd urge you, I'd encourage you to take a step today. But finally, there's, there's one more group of people, and it's the people in this room who simply think that you don't need community. You know, everything we've been talking about this morning, sure, it sounds great for other people, more needy people, uh, but not for me. I'm good. And if this is you, and I've been here, 
If this is you, I would challenge you to consider that you may be walking in some pride and or some fear. Pride being that you think you can manage life, you can handle it, you can keep juggling everything on your own. And fear being that you're afraid to open up your true self to other people. And I would strongly exhort you, if that's you, I'd exhort you to consider that living in isolation, refusing to open yourself up to others, eventually it's going to go bad for you because it's outside of God's intended design for his creatures and for his children. You need people in your life to show you mercy, extend you grace, and build you up in love every single day. But I'd also encourage you to to consider this. By refusing to engage in community here, you're actually depriving this body. You're depriving us of the gifts that God has given you. By staying disconnected, it's kind of like our body has a paralyzed finger or a fractured toe or we've blown an Achilles. Whatever part of the body God has designed you to be, we cannot function at full capacity if you're not connected. We need your friendship. We need your gifts to be all that God has designed us to be as a church. And you need our friendship. You need our gifts to become all that God has created you to be. So if that's you, if you feel like you don't need community, I'd encourage you to take a step today as the Spirit leads you. So I think I've covered everyone in this room. Uh, If not, come see me after and I'll I'll add a category to this. Okay, we're going to go super late today, so just setting the expectation there. We still have some testimonies and communion in store, so... Just, there's the expectation. We're looking 1210, okay? 1215, maybe. I apologize for that. All right, so let me give you some, I told you I'd give you some practical steps to take, to take a step deeper into community here, okay? First thing got canceled, so you can scratch that. I was going to encourage you to come tonight to dinner on the ground, so scratch that. Next Sunday, though, Joyland. You've already heard about Joyland. Super surface level. Just come, meet some new people have some conversations, and see if some connections start to form. Going a layer deeper, on Sunday mornings before this 1045 hour, we have a bunch of classes that meet. Um, HUD meets in room one. Uh, Matt and Mark meet in here. There's a college and career group down in the basement. Um, At the end of the month, Jeff Oldham is going to lead a three-week equipping class. Maybe one of these Sunday 930 classes might be the next step for you to take. Again, It's one layer deeper, but it's not extremely deep yet. Just show up, see if some connections form, and see what the Lord might do. So, Joyland, Sunday morning classes, and then there's small groups. And small groups are a primary lane by which we experience authentic community together. Um, Groups meet on different nights throughout the week and really aim to do life together. Um, If you're looking to join a group, We're going to have a group connect on September 19th, okay? So jot that down if you're looking to join a group. Um, But I I also want to do this. If there's any small group leaders in this room right now who have open groups, uh, would you stand up? Sorry to put you on the spot like this. If you have an open group, would you stand up? 
All right, so Jerry and Sharon back there. Sharon leads uh, a women's only group. Who do we have back there? Oh, David, great. Sorry, I don't have my glasses on. And then we have David McCartney. So if any of these people look interesting or intriguing and you're looking for a group, <laughs> come just have a conversation with one of them after, okay? And just ask around. Ask about groups. Ask if someone's in a group. See if you can come join. We're very organic here, but we will have a group connect on August, uh, I'm sorry, September 19th. All right, finally, in the, the deepest layer of community we, we have here is a program you may have heard about called Regeneration. Uh, we have an informational meeting coming up. Um, you can learn all about it there. But we're finding this program to be incredibly helpful in cultivating a culture of authentic community, right? Where we can show mercy to one another, extend grace, and build each other up in love. And as you'd expect in such an environment, uh, we're seeing Jesus the past few years. We've seen him do some incredible work transforming lives in significant ways. So I'd encourage you to consider Regen in the days ahead. Uh, every week through the month of August, you're going to be hearing short stories, little testimonies from people who have experienced life change through Jesus, through Regen. 